Is this me or is that you? What's that? You'd like to go to Revelation chapter 3. Should I just forget this? Revelation chapter 3. There's a story. Actually, chapter 4. Actually, it's between chapter 3 and 4. <laughs> the story is of uh, an old... I know, I hear it. I feel your pain. <laughs> the story of an old uh, farmer. This was back in the 1930s, 40s. He had never been to a really big city, and the final day came, and he was going to go to the big city. I'm not going to be able to... Anyway, so the farmer takes his wife and his son, and uh, he's, uh, you know, he approaches the skyline. Wow. You know, he had never been to a big city like that before. And then finally got there, and wow, you know, the, the buildings and the fanfare. And, and so he, um, his wife had never been to a really big department store, so she dropped her off first. And then they made their way to the bank, and the tallest building in the entire city was the bank. And so him and his son walked into the uh, lobby, you know, kind of picture it, marble and chandeliers, and, you know, they're just like awestruck, wow, you know. They'd only been on a farm, and all of a sudden, at the end of the hallway there, there was this, uh, these two steel door opened, elevator. He'd never seen an elevator before, and, and uh, this older, elderly, quite large lady walked into the elevator, and the big door shut, and then, you know, went up to the floor, and then went all the way down, and then the doors opened, and this really gorgeous young, <laughs> yeah, gorgeous young lady stepped out of the elevator, and, you know, the, the elderly man's jaw dropped, and he said, son, I want you to wait here. I'm going to go get your mother and see if she will go in that machine. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we will all be changed. <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. That we're, we may not all sleep, but as Corinthians says, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. By the way, I am now referring to believers. It is true, the unsaved will be changed, but they will ultimately have a body of corruption. But for Christians, we will someday have a body of incorruption. And I'm going to change change thank you now you know how i do this it's like fishing <laughs> oh it's hard that's not me now is it me
That's the whole world, okay? To test those who dwell on the earth. By the way, that is what the purpose of the tribulation is. To test those who are on the earth. It's, the tribulation is not Satan's or Antichrist's fury on the earth. It's God's fury on the earth. Okay? The only other time we saw it on the whole earth is when? The flood. And he said in Second Peter, there's even going to come a day when they start to say, oh, did the, did the flood really happen? Go to Second Peter chapter 3. Yeah, we're living right there, right? Scoffing, scorners, is there a God? Does he really, you know, uh, uh, work in man's uh, time frame at all, all that stuff? So anyways, this is a reference to the, tri- or the I'm going to keep saying tribulation. This is a reference to the tribulation, but he says, I'm going to keep you from it. Okay, so how do you keep a person from it? We're going to see, but that's keep, it's means out. It doesn't mean that I'm going to preserve you through it. It means I'm going to take you out of it. That's a totally different thought. Let me say, let me say this real, real clear. In this world, we will have tribulation. Now, I say that because some people have totally rejected the rapture happening before the tribulation, and this is why. You told us that we would never have to suffer tribulation. I'm not saying I've said that. But sometimes Christian teacher, prosperity theology, health and wealth, you don't have to suffer. And then when they suffer, and they base it off like the, uh, the, the, the rapture, and when they suffer, the person walks away from Christianity because he said, well, I thought you told me that I, I never would suffer as a Christian. Do you see how that works? you see how that works? Now, I'm going to say this. As a Christian, we are called to suffer, right? Suffer for Christ, right? F- even fulfill the sufferings of Christ. I mean, we talked about Philippians 4 and uh, uh, Philippians 129 and stuff like that. Uh, it's been granted to you not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his namesake. But what we're talking about is this. We are talking about the greatest wrath that this world has ever endured. Because even through the flood, at least there was an earth left. I mean, it had been wiped clean. Well, no, that is. But this is even going to be worse, okay? Because in this, everything at the end will die. Everything. Not only will die, but everything at the end will be judged. At least the, the other time, there was, there was eight that went through it, right? Okay? At the very end of this, everything, this is the finality, this is the finality of God's wrath. That's the peace that I'm saying we will not have to endure. And I say, I'm going to keep using the word pre, because it's, I, I believe in the, in the pre-trib rapture of the church. Pre. What do you mean? Well, this, this is the uh, tribulation, the seven years of, uh, of the greatest wrath that God has ever shown on this earth then I believe that we are raptured before, pre. Now, some people say, well, there's also a mid-trib. They believe that Christians get raptured at the middle of the tribulation. And then there's those, if, if you're not millennials, you'd believe that it was at the end. It's post-trib. Um, in fact, let me show you this. Do you have that chart? Uh, these are just, you see these all over the place. But uh, first chart, okay, so right here. Old Testament times, Christ dies, church age. The church age is where Christ is, is uh, redeeming a people that is called specifically the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And then there will be a, a rapture. There will be 
instantaneous. If it happened right now, done. It'd be that quick, right? And then there's a time frame of a tribulation period. Now, three and a half, three and a half. Now, you notice this because we're not I don't believe necessarily that it happens within the next moment. Rapture happens, there might be a time frame. It might last even up to a month or longer where there's, and then all of a sudden, signing of the covenant and the tribulation begins, okay? But again, there's this time frame, tribulation, seven years. This is the great tribulation, three and a half, and then the second coming of Christ. Now, do you have that other, the first? I, I just want to see, I, I, this is the same thing, church age, rapture, but this is, this is Christ. He catches us in the air. The second advent is where he comes back and he actually lands and put, put, uh, puts his foot down in the Mount of Olives. Okay? Zechariah, what, 14, 4 or so. And then there's a thousand year reign. Now, this is where the disagreements are in Christianity. Does Christ? No, okay, that's fine. And you, okay. Uh, disagreement number one. Where does the uh, rapture happen? Is it before, during, after the tribulation? When does the rapture happen? In fact, there's either the fourth one that says uh, pre-rap. Then the other question is, is the tribulation even going to happen? If you're a preterist, you said, no, that happened in 70 AD. Okay? But I believe that the tribulation, the great tribulation, the tribulation of seven years is still the foul. That's what we call uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. If, if you remember when we went through Daniel, the 70 weeks of Daniel, how many of you remember? 70 weeks? That's the 70th week. The last, and when I say week, it's sevens. Seven. Week means seven. So it's the last of the sevens, seven years, one week, one final week, tribulation. There's a lot of controversy there. And then over here, there's a lot of controversy on the millennium. All right? In other words, does Christ come back before, uh, after, or is there no millennium, which is called what? Amillennialism, which is kind of strange to me that there's a doctrine that says there isn't. Like, atheist? I don't mean they're atheists. I'm saying that's a doctrine that says God isn't, okay? There's a doctrine that says the millennium kingdom isn't. That's called amillennialism. Uh, obviously, I'm not trying to criticize you if you believe that, but uh, it is very clear in Scripture, <coughs> thousand-year reign, thousand-year reign. Now, Revelation 20, six times, thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. I would say it this way. If the thousand year doesn't mean a thousand years, then please don't tell me that Genesis means six days. Because if it's not in the beginning, it doesn't mean anything in the end, right? Okay? I will defend my, with my whole heart that we it's a literal six-day, 24-hour creation. Amen? Amen? Then I hope that we can continue and say, you know, the end of the book matters. The end of the book really does matter. And this is all going to be dependent upon one, one thing. If you believe that the Jew is still part of God's... Uh, if you say yes, there's still a place for Israel in God's economy, then you've got to say yes, and there is a millennium. Okay, I don't know how that plays out. So that's kind of the whole book. That's the whole book of Revelation. We just covered it. We can go on to Ephesians next week. Uh, okay, uh, let me give you another one. John 14. Let's I know I'm going to run out of time. Uh, John 14. Remember uh, Upper Room? And the disciples are troubled, because he says it in John 14, Jesus addresses. This is, 
This is the uh, rapture as well. Let not your heart be troubled. Again, a lot of things they've seen up to that point. Um, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. By the way, when he said that, they were probably thinking the temple. <laughs> Remember when he cleaned out the Father's house? Okay, But he's talking about heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and now notice how it says this, and receive you to myself, that where I am, that's heaven, there you will be also. You may be also. Now again, he doesn't say, I'm going to come where you are. He's saying, I'm going to get you, and you're going to go where I am. Do you see the difference there? If I go and prepare, I, uh, prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself. And that's why in this one, can I give you the little slip, the first one there, huh? Uh, this one, see, that's why this is so important. We go, but we, we are caught in the clouds. We are caught in the clouds. He never, he never, this is not considered the second coming, because he never puts his feet on the earth. This is, you know, this is, you could call this, this is the first phase of the first resurrection. You could say it that way. This is the first phase. I believe the, the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of the godly, have a, has a number of phases. Different groups of people, church, Old Testament saints, tribulation saints. It's all part of the first resurrection, though, okay? First in the sense of first in importance, it, it's, the, it's the godly. Okay, so this is one. So we've seen Revelation 3, John 14. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Again, a resurrection passage. Resurrection passage. And um, this is the rapture. Fifteen verses uh, fifty to. Uh, let's just go to fifty-four for time. Now, this I say, brethren. This is Paul speaking, obviously. Uh, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go to heaven having your your flesh and blood right here. Okay, you got to be changed. Something's got to happen. Um, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. What do you mean a mystery? In other words, the Old Testament didn't have any idea of this. This was a mystery to the Old Testament saints. They could not have understood this. This was not part of the Old Testament teaching. Um, I tell you a mystery. We shall, we, not, we, sh we shall not all sleep. Now, the word sleep refers to death, a euphemism for death. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, for this corruptible, that's our body, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on in, incorruption, and this mortal has put on in, immortality, then shall, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So I believe that's a third passage talking about the tribulation. And then finally, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, by the way, the way I have laid it out is the way that they would have, that's how Revelation was given. In other words, John 14 happened first, Corinthians 15 happened second, that was about AD 51, and now 1 Thessalonians was written around 55 AD, four years later. Um, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, again, Paul to the Thessalonican Christians, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, that's, that's, we need to stop and just think about that. We shouldn't be ignorant about these things. 
lot of Christians are ignorant about prophecy. In fact, a lot of Christians don't even want anything to do about prophecy because, oh, it's too controversial. Well, part of the controversy, quite honestly, is a lot of people don't want to study it. Like, just take this. If you just look at Revelation, I mean, I didn't tell you anything, and you just assume that it was a book, and most likely the book just had a natural flow. The book of Revelation actually chronologically gives you from the church age right to the end. I mean, it's not like you have to be a super scientist or really, really smart. You just have to say, oh, God wrote a book, 22 chapters, and he just wanted to give us the end story, you know. But if you start saying, oh, no, we got to start manipulating things, then everything gets really confusing, right? So I, I want to encourage you with that. You know, it's not that we're, none of us are super smart. It's just God, does God want to communicate? God wants to communicate with you, um, even about the end times. So I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, again, notice the fallen asleep. That's dead. Christians who have died. Christians who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I mean, you watch an unbeliever, and they lay their loved one in the ground, and that's the last time they'll see that loved one, if they're an unbeliever. But he's talking to Christians, saying, listen, don't sorrow like them. For if we believe that Jesus died, by the way, he did die, he did rise again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those are Christians, Christians who have died. That's the third word, by the way, third time, or second time that we see the word sleep. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. That's the third time the word sleep is used. For the Lord himself, and then he gives us the actual um, sequence. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So what is he saying? Okay, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that's, by the way, what we're celebrating at the Lord's table, the fact that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, his sacrifice on the cross completely paid for my sin, for anybody who has received him, and that his life, that he lived perfectly, and that his death, that he died perfectly, if you've received Christ, has been applied to your account. Right? That's imputation. That's a very important word. I know it's big, but imputation means what he, what he has accomplished has been applied to your account. It's like me going to you and saying, you know, I know you have financial problems. Now, it wouldn't be me saying this, but let's say somebody came to you and said, I know you have financial problems, and I have $100,000, and I want to give that to you. And you say, yeah. But you, are you serious? Yeah, I'm dead serious. And I go and I make the transition a transaction from Steuben County or Steuben Bank to your bank in your account, and now it's in your name. It's been applied. I mean, you're a hundred thousand dollar richer. Now, if I tell you that, say, I can't do that. I don't have that type of money, right? Right? But Christ can with His sacrifice. See, because He has the ability, because His life, because He is God. His, his sacrifice was of immense, uh, infinite value. So when we, when we receive Christ, that's what's happening. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. So that's why those who are asleep, those who have died in Jesus Christ, okay, they're the first ones to be resurrected, okay? And so the Lord himself, verse 16, uh, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, let's say a person is alive, they're breathing, and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up is very, very important. You might want to underline that. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he ends by saying, therefore comfort one another with these words. Why? Because in verse 13 he's saying, don't sorrow like those who have no hope. Have comfort. Because it's, it's not what you have done on this earth. It's who you have received. That's what makes you righteous. And he, whether I'm living or dead is immaterial. If I'm in Christ, then my I have, a, I have the hope of future glory, the hope of future resurrection. So this is, the again, the first resurrection. And the sequence is this. First of all, the dead. I mean, think about it. Yep, Martin Luther. John Calvin. Your grandmother, if he, she was a Christian. They're, they're resurrected first. And then we, well, if we're still living... We'll be resurrected after them. So we're not going to be first. We'll be second after them. But by the way, it all happens this quick. Watch, watch. Done. Okay? Now, number two. Why isn't the word rapture found in the Bible? It really isn't. Although it's pretty interesting, Trinity is not found in the Bible either. Actually, the word Bible is not found in the Bible. But I do believe in the Bible. Um, now, the rapture is actually derived from that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Maybe you're still there. When it says, you shall be caught up, caught up with them in the clouds. The word caught up is the Greek word that means to snatch or to seize. By the way, it can, it can mean, it means suddenly and sometimes just um, like, yeah, you know, like, like that kid that wants the ice cream cone, you know? It means, um, it means sometimes even vehemently. It's, it's used like this. This word is used in the New Testament and other places. When it says that they, you know, after Jesus perceived that Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. I always found that interesting. The group, I mean the, the, the crowd, wanted to take Jesus by force to make him a king. But that's the word, take him by force, take him. That's the word for that Christ is going to be in the clouds and take us, snatch us, catch us. It's also used in John 10 verse 12 where it says, the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them, catches. A wolf is not going to do this. Come with me. No, grab. Now again, that's a negative use of that word, but you get the point. When Christ comes, it's, it's his power that snatches us away. Now, you might say, well, where does the word rapture come from? Because actually, the, the Greek word is harpazo. Well, that word caught went through uh, Latin. <laughs> and in the fourth century, the word harpazo was repetias, which we get the word, well, it actually repeo, which we get the word, English word, rapture. Okay, so it's actually from Latin. Not that I'm much into Latin, but uh, in that word rapio, rapio, excuse me, rapio means to catch, snatch away. So if you, if, you took a, if you took a Latin Bible, went to 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and looked at that word caught, it's rapio. And so we get our word rapture. So that's where the word comes from. Uh, third, what is, what is the rapture? Well, we better define that. Again, it's the catching away of the saints. It's where... 
the saints that are on the earth and who have died, the body of Christ, the church, and I'm highlighting it because some will say, oh, are you saying the Old Testament saints go through this rapture? No. The Old Testament saints are part of the first resurrection. They are not part of this part of the first resurrection. I believe that the first resurrection that you see in, uh, what is it, Revelation 20, verse 4, I think, um, happens in a number of parts. It's not all one part. It's just like with um, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And at the very day, now this is how unbelievable it was. Uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel means there's 70 times 7, 490 years. 469 of them ended the very day Jesus walked in for that final time into Jerusalem. That very day, that very hour, that's how precise the word of God is. But between there and the last week of, uh, of uh, tribulation, you know, the, the, the last week of uh, Daniel 70 weeks, is how many thousands of years? So, and what I'm trying to say is this. Many times God will give you a doctrine, a teaching, something that's going to happen, but it's just like Christ's first and second coming. See, they all thought first coming, he's going to come as king. That's why it was so, like, what do you mean you're going to the cross? I mean, do you think they were, like, jilted? Yeah, because they were looking for a coming king. Well, yeah, because the second time he's coming as the king. But there's a space called the church age before he comes back. So here, the resurrection happens, but the first, the first part of the resurrection is the rapture. And then you're going to see the Old Testament uh, and the tribulation saints afterwards. Uh, we will cover this a little bit more later. But I do want you to see this one part. Um, I mean, what exactly is it? The, re the rapture, and, and even when I say the word resurrection is this. Um, the Bible is very clear that absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord, right? Now, what does that mean? That means that when I die, and you see my body, my shell laid out there, that's just, that's just my shell. My spirit, my soul, by the way, I'm a dichotomous, which means the immaterial part of me, soul, conscience, spirit, is with the Lord. But see, my body's here. Uh, but my soul's there. They're, but I want my body. <laughs> and, that's when the, and so what happens at the rapture is our souls are being reunited with, our, uh, with a glorified body. Do you see that? Because I hear people at, uh, at uh, funerals. There is more bad theology at funerals than anywhere else that I know. I just want you to know that. So when you go in, don't try to change their theology necessarily, but it is bad theology. Oh, they're going to be up in heaven playing golf. No, they're not. They're going to be watching NASCAR. No, you know. Um, there's even, some have said there's... Uh, that you will get an intermediate body until you get back to earth and get your glorified body. I don't know. All I do know is this. When you die, it's your soul. It's your spirit that is with the Lord. And there is a time coming when your glorified spirit, your perfected spirit, let's say that, and your glorified body are reunited. Okay? For the church age, it's the rapture. It's this part right here. Okay? Now, you know another interesting thing? Look at the word falling asleep. I'm just, by the way, today I just decided just to ask a lot of questions and kind of preach off of that. But notice in 1 Thessalonians 4, three times, asleep, asleep, sleep. See, Paul's, you, when you go to sleep, do you get afraid? Well, some people do. I used to actually get terrified when I was five and sixth grade. 
That was one of the things that drove me to the Lord. I hated dark. I didn't like going to sleep. I thought I was going to die. Where am I going to be? I got saved when I was like 7th, 8th grade. But normally sleep you look forward to, don't you? I mean, maybe not as kids, but let's face it, as adults, don't we look forward to sleep? I love Sunday afternoon. You know, I can take a nap. Why? Because you're gonna, you figure this. You're going to go to sleep, get rejuvenated, and wake up refreshed, right? Well, that's why Paul uses that word. It's, it's a non-threatening word. So, so he just says, you know, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, you know, those who have fallen asleep, not dead. Well, they are dead. Their body. But see, it's just their body. When that person died on, when they, that person got burned alive in the 1600s and their body finally died, their spirit was more alive than they've ever been in their life, right? Right? Since their existence started. They're, because that's when you're in the presence of the Lord. Okay? So he just uses a very non-threatening, falling asleep. Um, again, Sleep is used as a picture of death because the body sleeps until the day of resurrection, not the soul. There's a false teaching about soul sleep. No, no. The soul doesn't sleep. The soul, the spirit, the immaterial part of man is with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's a gravestone in London (laughs) for a man called Solomon Pease. Solomon Pease. And this is what the gravestone reads. Here lies the body of Solomon Pease, under the grass and under the trees. But Pease is not here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. <laughs> yep, someday you leave your pod. Right? So... So who's going to participate? Christians. Christians. The church. The church. That's who's going to participate in the rapture. And how long will it take? Well, we said in 1 Corinthians 15, it says in a moment, in a twinkling. By the way, the word moment is from the word atomos. We get our word atom. Back in Paul's day, that would have been the smallest. They couldn't even think about splitting an atom, you know. And then the word twinkling. Most people think that the word twinkling is the blink. Right? That's it. That's how quick it is. It's not like this long, drawn-out process. Gone. All of a sudden, the world is emptied of millions of people. Gone. And all of a sudden, there is just a tremendous chaos that happens around the world. And that's, that is at least the the, the the stepping stone to the great tribulation or the tribulation. I say tribulation because it's the last half that is considered the great tribulation. Okay. Now again, when will this happen? Is it pre, mid, pre wrath, post trib? When will this wrap? By the way, all those mid trib, pre trib all refer to when does the rapture happen in relationship to the trib? And again, I believe it's pre trib. It's pre-trib. Now, let me just give you a few reasons, and we'll probably get into a few more later. First of all, you just got to determine what is the tribulation all about. Some will say this. It is Satan's wrath against the earth. It is the Antichrist's wrath. No, no. It is God's wrath. Now, what is the church called? 
The church, the body of Christ, and the bride of Christ. I can't even fathom the fact of, like, the bride of Christ is going to have to endure the wrath of Christ because it's Christ who opens up the scroll. Okay? I mean, if I told my wife, by the way, and you're going to have to go through a lot of my wrath, she'd say, I'm not going to marry you. So I think the first is, well, whose wrath is being shown? It's God's. That's why it's called a blessed hope for us. Number two, the word church never appears. Chapter 4 through 19. That I think is a, I can leave it at that. Uh, Number three, there is no warning to the church about the tribulation. You won't find anywhere where he says to prepare for the tribulation. He tells the unsaved, (laughs) you know, one will be snatched and all the horrific stuff, but not to the church. It's not addressed like that. It's always called the blessed hope. It's always the the glorious, our, our king is coming back to rescue us. Number four, if all believers are raptured, now this is a real important one. If they're all raptured at the second coming, then who will inhabit the kingdom? Because this is chronologically, I believe the rapture happens, seven years of tribulation, Christ comes back, thousand year reign. Now, but the way they put it is, if, if we're all out of here and the unsaved have totally been destroyed, because that's what happens at the end of the millennial reign, or excuse me, at the end of the tribulation, all the unsaved are dead. Now, but if all the saved have been raptured at this point, not here, then who inhabits the millennial, the kingdom? There's nobody left. They're either glorified saints or dead. Okay? In other words, that's a huge problem. I don't know why. Well, you know, in our... In, our, in my way of thinking, because it makes perfect sense, the church is gone. There is a, com- a huge revival during the tribulation period. I mean, can you imagine having the two witnesses who can like literally like Elijah, and then you have the 144,000 preaching, and you even have an angel proclaiming the eternal gospel, and thousands and thousands of people are getting saved. And at the end, it's in Matthew 25, verse, I think, 46, you know, uh, inherit your kingdom. It's the uh, judgment of the goats and sheep, and all the goats are destroyed, the unsaved, because it's the test. Remember Revelation chapter 3. But it's the sheep that enter the kingdom. They don't enter as glorified saints. They enter as you. In other words, not me. We'll be gone, but I'm saying they enter as human beings who will then procreate on the earth. That's why you, you see them going through, and at the very end, now think about this, at the very end of the thousand-year reign of the king of kings on David's throne, there's a rebellion. Does that make, that makes no sense. What are you talking about? You see Christ and you still can't submit? Why? Because that's how evil the human heart is. Right? So you've got to have people who have not yet been glorified to enter the kingdom. They will procreate. For a thousand years, they're going to have babies. We're not going to have babies. I can't have a baby once I'm... I can't have a baby anyway. But <laughs> right? But you get the point. Best to keep the script. Okay. Uh, the point is, is there's a lot of reasons, and, and we're out of time. We, we need to prepare our hearts. Let me give you the last one, though. What does the teaching of the rapture have to do with everyday life? That's where we get here, right? I mean, let me, let me say this very clear. God never gave us prophecy 
He gave us prophecy, excuse me, to change our hearts, not to fill our heads. He didn't give us prophecy for curiosity's sake. It's supposed to do something for us. It's supposed to make it, it's supposed to give us understanding to live better believe, lives as believers right now. And I gave you a bunch of them. One for the converting influence on seeking hearts. Boy, you see prophecy, you see the wrath of the Lamb on the earth. Let me say that is just a picture of what happens to a person that dies and is and, and goes before the one that can kill both body and soul in hell. See, we think the tribulation is the worst of the worst of the worst. No, no. The worst of the worst is hell. That's just a picture of the wrath of God against sinners. This should drive us to evangelize. You need to hear about Christ because he can forgive you. Because if you don't get saved, you're going to stand before the wrath of the Lamb. I don't believe it even happened. Well, let me just give you a glimpse of it out of the tribulation. That's just a glimpse. That's not a full picture. That's not the worst thing that can happen to a person going through the trip. The worst thing is not receive Christ, die, and face him eternally as their judge. Number two, it has a cleansing influence on their, uh, on sinning hearts. A cleansing. It says in 1 John 3, And everyone who has this hope in him, fixed on him, purifies himself. If you really believe that Christ is coming back, that has a purifying effect. Why? Because Christ is coming back. Sure, he's going to receive us unto himself, but he's also going to judge us as believers. I'm not talking heaven and hell. I'm talking reward. That has a huge purifying effect. I, I don't know about you, but there's times that I'd like to sin. Oh, that's right. Christ is coming back. Well, don't want to do that one. Right? This study of prophecy should have a purifying effect in your life. You see in Scripture over and over again, prophecy and purity put together, like in Titus 2, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, right? I mean, you you focus on the blessed hope, that should make us live godly and righteous in this world. And number three, it has a calming effect. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Oh, yeah, we might go through hardships. Some of you are going through it right now. All different types of hardships. We look at this world that's cracking, but we have the blessed hope. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be stirred up and disturbed. Number four, it has a comforting influence. Remember Thessalonians 4? Comfort one another with these words. You know, when the Lord heard of Lazarus' death, you know what it says? It's the shortest verse in Scripture. What's that? Jesus wept. That was very sad. You know, sometimes we go to funerals. Maybe I thought this years ago. Oh, uh, you know, don't cry. Don't cry. Uh, don't weep. That person was a Christian. Jesus wept. <laughs> says when, the, when uh, Stephen's friend saw Stephen's dead body, he wept bitterly. I finally got one. And then finally, it has a controlling influence in serving hearts. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. My beloved brethren. I think this is Donna's favorite verse. It used to be. My beloved brethren. This is after the resurrection passage. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Why is it not in vain? Because he's coming back for us. You know, we forget. He, that is, we are looking for him. 
and everything in our lives because we're looking for the blessed hope, our glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything changes. We become a witnesser. We get comfort. We become stable. We work hard for him, not for ourselves, right? We find comfort and can give comfort. Everything changes. That, that changes everything if we really believe that he's coming back for us. The question is, is it really changing it for you? Or is it like this? Oh, oh, I hope he gets done with the rapture with this whole doctrine. I'm not quite understanding it. No! <laughs> Everything changes. If we really not only understand it, but actually bank on it, believe it, right? Believe what you believe. Believe what you believe. It will transform your life. Let's bow for prayer and ushers come forward. Did you notice what that first, uh, first line was? Salvation belongs to our God. In other words, to get saved means it's all of him and not of us, right? And if you're here and you've never received Christ, or maybe you've been here many times and you're trying to work your way to heaven, know this, that our righteousness is what? As filthy rags. It's all of him. It's, it's throwing yourself on the mercy of God and saying Christ has done it all. He paid for your sin on the cross, and you need to receive him as Lord and Savior. Let me also say, uh, if you would like to give, as you know, during our communion services, we have the People Helping People Fund, and it's out in the back right hand. It's a little church, and if you'd like to uh, help out, and that is going to the needs of people, specifically whatever is given is just... Uh, so different families and uh, community people that need help. So if you'd like to do that. And finally, you, this is a very familiar story. On October 14, 1944, General J Douglas MacArthur led his troops back to the Philippines to liberate them from the Japanese oppression. Three years earlier, he had been forced to leave by the Japanese, but he made this promise, I shall return. And he did three years later. Christ also made this promise. I will come again and receive you to myself. And he is coming back. And that should change the way that we live. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your promises. Thank you that your promises are completely fulfilled. And we look forward to the day of that blessed hope of our coming Savior and King. And Lord, may we live in light of eternity, in light of in, in light. Of, of his soon arrival. In Jesus' name, amen.